All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Mariah Humphreys. And we hope you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving dinner with your friends and family and uh, were able to find some really good deals on Black Friday. So if you, uh, if you found some great deals, let us know. Maybe we'll. Want to get in on that too? Uh, so I know I did. Right. <laughs> 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 hey, we we don't we don't find everything around here. You know, help us out too. Yeah, so sir. hopefully, you guys enjoyed last week's episode. We've been on kind of a uh, a gun kick. It's that time of year. We're uh, we're playing around with our guns. We're you know focusing on it and just you know that's that's what we do in the wintertime. That's right. Hunt predators and and. You know, yeah. find new loads for our rifles and stuff. Yeah. So we figured we'd talk to you guys about it. Find ways to spend all our hard-earned money. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we're going to keep dialing down on that for this week as well. We're going to talk about some other uh, aspects. And uh, But before we do that, um, we have an interesting topic to go over. Um, but guys, if you like the show, make sure you are liking and uh, subscribing to it wherever you're listening to it at. Uh, make sure you're leaving us a rating and a written review if you can. It really helps get us in front of more people. And if you could uh, help support us and help us grow, if you go to the northernhunter.com, not only do we have a contact button where you can ask us any questions, but we also have a store or a shop, I guess is what the page is called, where you can buy some merch. And we have a partners page where a lot of great companies have partnered with us and given us discount codes for you guys to use. Uh, but Weatherby Rifle, or no, we don't have a discount code with Weatherby, but we are sponsored by Weatherby. Um, Hammer Bullets, uh, you know, Stealthy Hunter has a lot of great stuff. So check out the uh, links for those and the discount codes associated with them all in the partners page on the website or in the show notes of the show wherever you're listening to it. So. Um, Dalton, you had a interesting story you came across and it's a little bit of an old one, but it's the first time I'm hearing about it. Me so too. let's dive into that. It's kind of along the same lines as what we're going to talk about today. It, it is. A little bit. It is. It's, a little bit. It, it is. It is in the same ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> so I was scrolling through the archives of Outdoor Life. And in January of 2022, which is practically ancient history, you're right. Uh, but this headline popped up, and it says Boone and Crockett says the use of smart rifle scopes, GPS-enabled tech, and trail cams that transmit images in real time isn't fair chase. That's the title. 
Mm. The subtitle is, Trophy animals taken with any of these technologies are no longer eligible for the record book. Here's why B and C is cracking down. So this is on Outdoor Life's website. I think I already mentioned that. The article goes on to say, Last month, of course, this is old news. Mm-hmm. The Boone and Crockett Club quietly approved a number of updates to its big game records eligibility statement that disqualify trophies taken with the aid of technology that's becoming increasingly prevalent in the field. Mm. According to the update, which took effect in December 1st of 2021, the use of quotation marks, sites with built-in electronic range-finding capabilities, end of quote, and technology that delivers real-time location data, including photos, to target or guide a hunter to any animal are now considered violations of the club's revered code of ethical conduct. Hunters who enter animals for consideration into the Boone and Crockett records of North American Big Game must sign an affidavit swearing that they have not relied on these technologies just as they testify that they have not violated any tenets of fair chase, including chasing chasing game with motorized equipment, hunting inside high fences, drugging animals, or violating local game laws. If the club's position paper wasn't widely circulated when it was adopted last month, the ideas behind the prohibitions got a fresh hearing this week when the Utah Wildlife Board voted to prohibit trail cameras from hunting seasons in the Beehive State during 2022. I remember that. That was a big deal. Both cellular and standard trail cameras have been banned in Utah during the hunting seasons. The Utah decision actually went beyond the Boone and Crockett Club's position statement, which applies fairly narrowly to trail cameras that transmit images and locations of animals instantaneously to a hunter. By the 4-3 to three decision, the Utah Wildlife Board not only banned all game cameras, both transmitting and non-transmitting models during the hunting seasons, but also prohibited the sale of data and images produced by the cameras. The board's action also pr- prohibits the use of thermal imaging devices during hunting seasons. So it goes on to talk a little bit more about some trail cameras and Utah's particular position, position on that. The following paragraph goes on to say, The result is the latest position statement, which relies on one of the fundamental tenets of the Boone and Crockett Club statement, situational ethics. At the end of the day, our fair chase entry requirements were never intended to be the end-all list of what is and what is not fair chase, says Spring. Hmm. Our intent is to try to show folks that each person will have their own personal fair chase ethic. Our requirements are the bare minimum. You can't drop below our standards and be anywhere close to fair chase. Very interesting. Hmm. The next... It's <laughs> kind of a conflicting statement there. The next <laughs> paragraph goes on to say, the club offers some context for its updated eligibility rules, which are now being circulated into official Boone and Crockett measures this month. While activities prohibited by the club's new rules are fully legal in many jurisdictions, They serve as a bar to entry into the Boone and Crockett club records as violations of the spirit of fair chase or giving an animal an adequate chance to escape the pursuit of a hunter. According to the club's statement, technological advancement in hunting equipment is a natural progression of our desire to be successful and effective in ethically harvesting game. At some point, these technologies can displace a hunter's skills to the point of taking unfair advantage of the game. Below are some examples which are not intended to be an exhaustive list. The club believes that having another person 
on the other end of a two-way radio or cell phone to help locate or guide a hunter. To game is not fair chase. Next Mm -hmm. item. Big game animals cannot be legally hunted at night in any state or province. Using any technology or device that allows hunters to see in the dark in order to harvest an animal is both illegal and unsportsmanlike. Knowing the range to a target is critical is a critical piece of information for the ethical harvest of big game animals. Rangefinders are a valuable and accepted tool as are rifle scopes. However, combining the two into one device, aka smart scopes, however, is a step too far. When technology becomes a substitute for using basic skills in the field or a hunter is simply buying skills, this Mm -hmm. is where technology undermines the hunting experience. It goes on to talk about drones being unethical. Thermal imaging is thermal imaging equipment is helpful in recovering wounded or lost game. Using thermal imaging equipment to initially locate game for hunting, however, is not fair chase. Trail cameras, it just reiterates what we already said there. Mm-hmm. As for cameras that require hunters to physically check the photos from trail cams, the club has no specific policy. The club requires a hunter to follow state regulations, which are aimed at maintaining wildlife health and hunter safety. The last one on this list that I'm seeing here is talking about mountain lions, which is not really a part of this discussion that we're going to have here. Uh, Let's see here. Boone and Crockett Spring specifically noted the rise in long-range hunting and the way reliance on technology can replace traditional field skills such as stalking and range estimation, as problematic to ethical hunting. Let's circle back to that topic of range estimation, because I've got a bone to pick with you about that, (laughs) Mr. Spring. (laughs) I'll read on. He says, long-range shooting and hunting is nuanced, he says. For some people who practice at long ranges, a 400-yard shot is a guaranteed kill. Others struggle to hit at 100 yards. That's one of those issues where you need to decide as a hunter what your personal ethical distance is and where you rely on technology to replace your hunting skills. What we're saying in our position statement is that when technology makes range and aiming adjustments automatically, as in the case of smart scopes, a line is crossed. We hope it causes hunters to really think about how much of this technology is too much in pursuit of animals. And then they go on about trail cameras, which we don't have to read all of that there. Yeah, they get uh, the idea. There's a bunch more trail camera information, but I believe that covers, yes, that is the extent of the article when talking about... And they about, can find that on Outdoor Life? This is on Outdoor Life, okay. yes. If you just look up the title of the article, if you go back and listen to what we said the title is, it is written by Andrew McKeon, it looks like, M-C-K-E-A-N. And this is from January 7th of 2022. Gotcha. Thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts, actually. Me too. Um, going both ways, to be honest with you. Yep. Um, because I feel like there's a fine line to walk. And it's an argument that's been had for as long as tech's been around, right? As soon as we stopped hunting with primarily trad bows, um, is how far is too far, mm-hmm. right? How big of a caliber is too big? How small of a caliber is too small? How far of a range is too far? Um, what kind of technology beyond that 
are you able to use? And I think we talked to Brian about this when he was on our show. Yeah. Or met it when we were on his. No, I think it was when he was on ours. But this is Brian Call. Brian Call from the Gritty Podcast. Yeah. Right. Um, he came onto our show and we had a conversation where there's an argument that is constantly going on between fair chase and ethics. Yeah. Because the most ethical thing to do is to have the 100% guarantee that that animal is going to die instantaneously right. on the spot, regardless of conditions. The only way to guarantee that is with tech. And, you know, also a good amount of skill. And we'll mm-hmm. get into that part of my opinion here soon. Um, but then there's the fair chase argument. Because if you're, you know, if you're hunting something with too much tech, well, now, as we've seen, there's videos of people that are whacking animals out all the way to like 1,400 yards, which is ridiculous. And we'll get into that as well. But um, is it? The ones I'm thinking of, yes. And I'll explain <laughs> that when, when I get to it. Um, so, the, but the thing is, it's like, where do you draw the line? Right. You know, and so they're drawing their line where they see it fit, right? They're, they're right. saying this technology allows you to substitute skill for tech. Yeah. It allows you to buy skill. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that is a line that needs to be crossed. You should not be uneducated and unskilled mm-hmm. using tech to supplement your shortcomings. Right. But there is a lot of tech that could be used both ways and depending on your application could be used properly. Um, let's just use a perfect opinion. I have a smart scope, right? So no. I, I have the Bur- Burris Eliminator 4, um, which is last year's model. I got it on clearance. And so what that does, it's one of those smart scopes. So it has a, a rangefinder built into it. You program your ballistics data into it. And when you put the crosshairs on the animal, you push the button, it ranges it and gives you a dot where your dope should be, where you should, what your holdover would be, essentially. Right. Now, there's two ways you can use this. Now, we've talked a lot in the last couple episodes about rifles and shooting and reloading Mm -hmm. and shooting for accuracy. We'll talk a little bit more about shooting styles here in a little bit, but I've been shooting long range for a while now. I'm good at shooting long range. I can hit stuff pretty far away. The difference is I learned on the original system, right? I learned by, I mean, I wasn't doing the long form math myself, (laughs) You know, which if you go back you know, to the old timers, that's how they did it. Um, but, you know, I was using the appropriate calculators. I was weeding through which calculators are the right ones to use by field testing their data. I was not just relying on punching numbers into an app and saying, oh, I'm good. Like, you have to go out, <laughs> test it. And we said it a hundred times on the show before, you know, never shoot an animal farther than you've shot a piece of paper or a piece of steel. Right. You know, you need to verify. The problem is with these smart scopes is they have options where you can go in and select your caliber. Um, I think the way Burris does it is they have a different number of settings and certain numbers are associated with certain calibers. And you can basically just plug and play your ballistics data without ever having to know why. You you don't even Mm -hmm. have to know what a BC is. You You don't have to know what. You, you probably don't even have to chronograph your round. You just you type in what the have box to shoot velocity past is. Past hundred yards. Yeah, you zero right. it for hundred yards. You put in the data that says this is my round, this is my zero, and it auto feeds you all the data. That 
I feel is overstepping. And you hear people all the time advertising and advocating for that tech saying you zero to 100 yards and you're good to 1,000. Right. And that is absolute hogwash because every rifle will shoot a little bit different. You guys were just telling me about a shooting adventure you guys went on where you were getting 40 feet per second faster than box velocity with your rifle, Dalton. Yep. And a good buddy of ours was getting two, almost 200 feet per second less than box velocity with his rifle. Right. So if he was to take what the box says that ammo is doing, zero yeah. at 100 yards and just plug that in, at 400 yards, he's missing. Yep. You know, at, at, at 1,000 yards, he's not even in the ballpark. Right. right. So to substitute that skill for the tech, I, yeah. I, I feel is 100% correct. And the problem we're going to run into with this level of technology that we're seeing these days is that you're basically having to trust somebody's intent. You're yeah. having to trust that they're using it correctly. And that's not something you could do with human beings. <laughs> like, because people are inherently going to use it for, for the wrong purpose. Um, the thing I like about the Burris Eliminator is I can go in there and manually program my ballistics data. Mm-hmm. So okay. my reloads have my data. I plug in my trajectory. 50 yards, 100 yards at a time, letting the the scope know where that bullet's going to be. I field test that in the field, verify it, and then I know I'm good. The only thing I would ever use that scope for is to save a little bit of time, right? I'm not coming off my glass to look through my monocular or my range-finding binos and and get my range to get back on my glass, get settled in, get ready for my shot. I'm just able to stay right where I'm at. Right. Get my range. It it dopes to what I have told it to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's only doing what I have verified it should do. Right. I know its limitations and I know what it can be used for. In that instance, I don't think it's unethical. Right. But that's because you're simply utilizing a different format for the same skill. So to substitute the skill is where the problem comes in. Um, and I would say it, if they're having an issue with people doing that, if they're having people that just want to buy a fancy scope, because they're not cheap. You know, like I said, right. I got mine on clearance and it was still north of a grand. Um, SIG offers a lot of that Bluetooth scope rangefinder to phone technology through their BDX app. Yeah, they do. For affordable prices. Yeah. But it's if you want to go out and, and spend money expensive. to substitute having to practice, <laughs> that doesn't fly. Because... Again, if you haven't verified you're good at 600, you have no business shooting an animal mm-hmm. at 600. But if you don't spend enough time at the range to have good shooting practices, it doesn't matter even if it is accurate. Right. But it, it could. But it could. Yeah. It could be. It could. It, and, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm not going to short sell them either. They've done their research. They have a good ballistics calculator. If your box velocity matches what your rifle is doing, whether you verified that or not, yep. it'll probably be pretty, pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm not going to say it's not going to be close, but if it's 200 feet per second difference, yeah. that might not be a lot at 100 yards. That might not be a whole lot at 200 yards. Four, five, 600 yards. Well, depending on the rifle, it can be a lot at And it can yards, be, depending, so. on, yeah, depending on the bullet and, the, and everything. So I would say it's, it's a hard one, right? Because... I know you can use the technology correctly, yeah, but it's also very easy to, to misuse it. Something I want people to keep in mind here is these are our personal opinions. Right. Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, 
Boone and Crockett is a private organization. Absolutely. They have the absolute right to retain the ability to make that decision, mm-hmm. to apply that barrier of entry. Yeah. I don't have a problem with a private organization doing that. Because... No. America. Yeah, it, well, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. It, it's a free country, <laughs> yep. you know? And that's... If you, want, it, if you want to be in their club, you play by their rules. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's that goes for anything else in life. Yeah. If you want to be a part of somebody else's organization or somebody else's club, yeah. you got to play by their rules. And you're allowed to feel how you want about it, but right. at the end of the day, at it's the end of the club. day, they <laughs> right. don't care what you think. <laughs> right, yeah. I think you made that pretty clear in the statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting to see how modern technology mm. is being handled by some of these organizations. Yeah. They talked about the Utah banning of trail cameras for hunting use. Yeah. Or uh, I'm sorry, they banned the use of trail cameras during hunting season. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to use them to scout preseason, but the problems that were arising were that, that they were having people that would have uh, cell cameras that would text on-demand photos. Every time I took a photo, you would get a text message with a photo of what your trail camera was seeing. Yep. And if you had like a watering hole or something like that, or a popular lick or a wallow, you could get a real-time photo and say, oh, there's my bull that I've been watching all summer. Yep. He's there. And I know he usually hangs out for a while. So I'm going to go drive my truck into a half mile or so of that water hole or that wallow yeah. And I'm going to tiptoe in there and I'm probably going to have, a, well, I, I know I'm going to have a better than not chance. Right. At least better than normal, better than random. Yeah. So you're giving yourself that little bit of an advantage. Now, we've talked about the use of cell cameras up here in Alaska mm-hmm. and their subsequent banning for mm-hmm. use at bear baits. Yeah. That is a far different subject, in my opinion. Yeah. Because. Uh, the, the, the vast majority, if not all of bear baits up here are remote enough of an access that us getting a real time photo at a bear bait does not mean that we can just jump in the truck, jump on the four wheeler, jump in the boat or start hiking and be there in a reasonable enough time to kill that bear while it's on the bait. Right. It's just given the average time they hang out at the bait. It's just not going to happen. Right. The only thing it does is save you the gas and time right. to go check it yourself. Right. Yeah. And for us, it would be exactly that. It would be a time and and money saver. Which, today's gas prices would be really nice. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. But in the in the uh in in the mindset of being completely fair chase, they want to do eliminate it and they have to draw the line somewhere. Right. Well, and you gotta think that there's people that bear bait without cameras, period. I know several. Yeah. I mean, they just go in if the food's disturbed. All right, there's a bear here. I don't know what kind of bear, but there's a bear here. And for some folks, they enjoy that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, ethics do not apply to everybody evenly across the board. Yeah. Ethics for one person is going to be different compared to another. Depending on your skill level, on your equipment level, on your experience, on your field time with that equipment, and on your field testing in real shooting situations, which we'll get to a little bit later, that is going to depend uh, very heavily on your experience and your equipment with 
uh, with with whatever you're running. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back to what this guy said here. Boone and Crockett's Spring, which I, I would assume Spring is the last name of, of, of one of these Boone and Crockett officials, specifically noted that the rise in long-range hunting and the way reliance on technology can, can replace traditional field skills, such as, now, now hear this, such as stalking and range estimation, as problematic to ethical hunting. Range estimation is a very dangerous thing to get talking about <laughs> in relation to ethics. This is where I draw the line of, all right, well, then why don't we all, uh, like Mariah said, I think in the last one, why don't we all just wear a loincloth and carry a longbow <laughs> and just go back to the beginning, right? I don't think anybody wants to see us. <laughs> but you see what the spirit of the argument is. Right. If you're going to say, well, I am the most fair chase, well, yeah. what is the most fair chase? And where is the line of ethics involved in that? Right. There are a lot of people in the traditional bow hunting community that think that they are the top of the ladder when mm -hmm. it comes to, I am the most fair chase that I can be because I have to get the closest and mm -hmm. I have to be the best stalker and I have to know my animal the best. Which, and don't get me wrong, it takes a lot of skill it to be does, successful. It does. It does. But the We're not shorten you on that. But the wounding rate on people that use subpar equipment, whether it's archery equipment or whether it's muzzle loaders yeah. or whether it is cheap rifle scopes and cheap guns that don't shoot very well or guys don't know how to shoot, mm -hmm. that can be applied across every bracket of the hunting industry yeah. for every means of hunting. Yep. In it, okay, like the uh, like the example that I so dearly love when I was in uh, EMT training mm -hmm. years ago, our instructor said, and, and he he said it in jest, but it really stuck with me. Every year, a doctor graduates at the bottom of their class. <laughs> That's kind of a nasty realization. Yeah. Now, sure, any doctor that graduates their medical school is good enough to be right. a doctor. Yep. Right? They have their medical practice license at that point. But some do better than others. Right? Yeah. Some people are better shooters than others. They are. Just because you pass Hunter's Ed with a bow does not mean that you should take that compound and go out and try to shoot a moose at 60 yards. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a sight tape that requires you to zero at 20 and 60 to then select your sight tape on a compound on a rotating pin sight on your adjustable wheel, okay, which mm -hmm. I have. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this is, I, I can speak to this because I've done this. Mm -hmm. You have to shoot and get your zero point for 20 and 60 on the Spot Hog Fast Eddy. Yep. Once you get your 20 and 60, you can align your marks on your dial with whatever sight tape applies to that trajectory. At that point, that sight tape does not just stop at 60. Mm -hmm. That sight tape goes out a long ways. Mine goes out to past 100. Mm -hmm. That can be problematic. I don't have to shoot at 90 yards to know that that's my arrow's trajectory, mm -hmm. in theory. Right. Yeah. So then, the, then there is the temptation well, man, I, I can't get any closer to that bull moose, but he's at 85 and I've shot out to 60. So really, I mean, how, how hard can it I be? Mean, <laughs> how hard can it be? The same thing applies to a turret on a rifle. Yeah. You have a predetermined mm -hmm. data set 
of a trajectory. Mm-hmm. And you say, this is my velocity. I've chronographed my ammunition. I know that my trajectory is X, Y, Z, yeah. 200, 300, 400, 500, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I've only ever shot to 300 yards at the rifle range. And I know I'm within an inch or two at 300. Yeah. And that dull sheep, man, that's a once in a lifetime trophy. And he's sitting up on that cliff at 650. Yeah. Well, I've got a ballistics turret. I'm just going to spin that sucker up to 650 yards, according to my ballistics chart, and I'm going to take that shot. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's unverified. And what he's talking about here, such as he says, technology can replace traditional field skills such as stalking and range estimation. Just to make this point black and white blatantly clear, nobody should be estimating range rifle hunting. You talking about eyeball on range? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Yep. You have zero excuse. Uh, Unless. The only time um, I would say that is up close and personal yes. brush hunting with like a 45 yes. 70. Yes. Yeah. But a scoped. We are talking about rifle. a scoped, as, yeah. as, as, the, um, as the non-hunting world would say, a high-powered rifle. <laughs> I hate that term. A but, sniper rifle. Yeah. With a scoped rifle with let's just say, long-range capabilities. Mm-hmm. Nobody's estimating their range anymore. Right. Everybody has a range finder. Yeah. The problem that, that we're encountering here and the problem that they are directly addressing is people that are shooting outside of their skill set and using technology to replace right. field right. skills. Right. That goes with the archery equipment. If you haven't shot with that dial sight mm-hmm. out to 80 or 90 yards, then you'd better well not shoot an animal at that distance. Yeah. Because you might have a flaw in your form yep. that doesn't show up yep. until 60, 70, 80 yards. Yep. And it's, it's the same thing with shooting. It's the same the thing. The farther with, you shoot, mm, the more thing. everything is important because yep. it compounds the farther right. out you yep. go. And, and that's what I was saying earlier when and I mentioned you know, people shooting yeah. you know, pronghorn at 1,400 yards or something like that, which if you are a proficient shot, and you have the appropriate ballistic setup to do that. Right. And you know that your bullet's going to expand appropriately. You know you can put, you know, a one MOA, you can hit a one MOA target at that distance yeah. every time. Yeah. And there's guys out there that can do that. And honestly, with modern technology and scopes and rifles and bullet uh, construction and all that, it's not really even, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not hard. I hate when people say it's not hard, but it's very possible for the average person to yes. learn how to do it. It is attainable. But I have witnessed videos of people bragging and wanting to show off and wanting to, you know, hit this thing so far. And some, as someone who knows ballistics and sees their setup, they're not doing it right. Right. That bullet's not expanding at that range. I know that for a fact. And you can even, I, I don't know. It's just, if you're doing it right, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're just substituting or guessing, Let's use like, a really good example here. Okay. Two examples. Mm-hmm. If you want to see a hunting individual, a great hunter that knows long range shooting, look up Brady Miller. Mm-hmm. He works at Go Hunt. That dude can shoot. Yeah. That guy carries a 14 and a half pound 300 Ultra Mag, yeah. Browning <laughs> X Bolt and McMillan. Ultra Mag, huh? <laughs> With a hand-loaded 208-grain Barnes LRX. Mm-hmm. How fast is it going? Do you know? Uh, I'd have to look. I, I, I don't so remember. I know. But that dude is so 
absolutely infatuated mm-hmm. with the long range shooting. He shoots yeah. every day and he shoots several times. Yeah. Okay. So every day he shoots one bullet. That's his yeah. one round for the day, right? We don't have to get off into, in, into the mind game. We'll, we'll that talk that a little is. bit more about it in, later in the episode. But he shoots routinely at extreme distances and yeah. he has killed animals at insane distances. But he's not gut shooting them. They're right. not getting away. Well, and, and I'll say this. You read a lot of comments in the comment section. A lot yeah. of people on forums talk about how it's unfair and anybody can shoot an animal that far. It's, uh, blah, blah. Those people have never done it. Yeah. Those people have never shot that My far. response would be, okay, then you go do it. Yeah. 1,400 yards, yeah. not the same as 400. No. Not right. even close. Right. You know, and... and, and it's just, it's a whole other ball game. It's a different ball game. You know, it, it's different than stalking up close with a, a short, range, short range weapon or right. a bow or something right. like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's still an exercise in extreme skill when right. done correctly. Right. I don't personally find the satisfaction in ultra long range hunting mm-hmm. that I do in staying 500 yards or less. Right. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. I'm not going to go out and say that nobody should shoot anything past 500 yards. Right. I, I just won't do it because that's imposing personal ethics. Mm-hmm. And again, here we are again. Ethics are right. not across the board. As it's, long as they're within the legal bounds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. But in relation to long range shooting. So the other example I was going to talk about here is the popularization of these long range weapon systems. Mm-hmm. We are seeing more and more and more marketing in the hunting space for long-range hunting. Yeah. Gunworks is probably single-handedly responsible for more long-range hunting mm-hmm. marketing than any other two companies in the last decade that we've seen in the hunting industry. We all know their slogan, a thousand yards out of the box. Yep. That's what they advertise. They build, they, they build good guns. Yeah. They do a good job. Yep. They build guns built to shoot long range. But I know people that have bought them and shoot them at 100 yards. They come zeroed in the case. Really? Zeroed with Gunworks ammo, with a scope mounted, and the, and the customers. This is, this is not what Gunworks wants you to do. Mm. And Aaron Davidson has been very clear about that. I, I've listened to a lot of different interviews with Aaron Davidson. He does not condone this, but what happens is you can't control what the user is going to do with that product. Correct. So because they have marketed it as a thousand yards out of the box, what happens? People just assume it. People take it out of the case, they take it down to the range, and they shoot to double check that the gun is still on, on the zero mm-hmm. at a hundred yards. It comes with a ballistic turret matched to their load. They go hunting. They've never shot past a hundred yards with this brand new gun. They probably have 50 rounds through it. And then if they that. go try to take a shot at a thousand yards on an animal. Yeah. Now I'm not going to get off into too many personal stories, but I have several. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both people that I know personally and people that I know that had that, that have also had other friends that they know of that have pulled the exact same stunt with Gunworks guns. Mm-hmm. That's not what they advertise should be done when the user gets that gun. Right. They tell you go double check your dope. Go shoot long range. We give you enough ammo with this $12,000 setup mm-hmm. that you can go afford to shoot several boxes of ammo mm-hmm. and go verify 
that not only can the gun do it, but can you do it? Right. Is your shooting right. form good enough right. to pull this off? Well, and that's and that's such an important thing because that that's one of the biggest factors with all this new tech is long is people just not realizing how much work it is, how much refinement. Even you, Mo, said in in a couple episodes ago, you've been going to the range every week. Mm-hmm. Every week you're at the range, whether it's testing loads or doing whatever. And you, you, I remember you mentioned you can feel your form getting more natural. Right. You can feel your your yeah. ability, and that's where like shooting once a day, one even one bullet a day. Yeah, I'm sure that helps a ton with oh, staying, yeah. staying on yeah. on muscle memory and, and if everything. That shot goes awry, it sticks with you all day. Yeah, and you think, man, what did I do? Yep. Wow, that shot was two inches off this morning, and you think about it. And yeah. It's such a mind game at that point. Now to this point. Uh, Boone and Crockett hasn't done anything against any like range. I don't like, believe if you so. shot this past. I, so I, many have, I haven't yards. seen anything about okay, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that would be a really hard one to enforce. Because mm. right, right. Yeah, it what would say. Well, you know and, and again, even limit. even this stuff, they're just say, having you sign an affidavit saying you you didn't use certain right. tech. You know, it's like right. they're, they're not. There's no way they're enforcing it necessarily. Yeah, if you want to be, true. you know, a, a liar, you can do that. Right. But like, but if you are, are if you're loose lip Larry and yeah, in your bar banter with your friends, oh, right. I shot that mule deer buck and I had a, I had a Burris Eliminator scope mm-hmm. and I told Boone and Crockett that I didn't. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. if if that comes back to them, then your trophy's going right. to be revoked and you're probably going to have your face in an article saying, <laughs> right, that this well, guy screwed up. And, and here's the funny thing, you know, because understanding the limitations of all this new tech as well right. is, is huge because if you don't, you'll never know where right. your shortcomings are. Point in case, I'm probably taking that burst off of my rifle um, here soon. And not that it doesn't do ballistically what it's supposed to do. Um, it, it seems to be very accurate. I haven't gotten to stretch it out as far as I want to yet, but the problem is the, we, have, we talked about in the last one, Mo. Uh, the variations that come in mm-hmm. with shooting in Alaska. Yes. The elevation changes, the temperature changes, humidity changes, everything changes so often. And to combat that, I've typically, you know, cracked my ballistics throughout yes. different times of the year. I, I know what my rifle does in the winter versus mm-hmm. the summer. I know what it does in caribou country versus moose country or, or low swamp donkey country. Uh, I know that I can make those adjustments. Right. And all I've got to do to make sure I'm on point is verify that my data is the same. My load is the same. I made the load. I know it's the same. Yeah. I go re-zero, make sure I'm on, on there, and I do a really quick check, you know, every 100 mm-hmm. yards out to a certain distance, and I know I'm good. Yeah. And that's all I've got to do. I take my other chart with me, and I'm good to go. If I range an animal, I look at that chart for that environment I'm in. Yeah. And that's way farther than most people are willing to go, right. mind you, right? right? Most people aren't doing that. It's a lot harder to do on, on the Burris. Yeah. You know, it's a lot harder to pro, reprogram yeah. Yeah. everything Change every that time. Data. And so it's right. like, for me, it's just more easy to go back to the way I was doing it before, right. even though I do like that it would save me some time. The time's not worth the extra, it, just the lack of faith I yeah. might have in it, yeah. especially since it's an electronic piece of equipment. And if it's, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm chasing caribou, and it's super cold outside in the middle of winter. I really hope that computer chip's doing what it's supposed to do. In well, it's, right. not, like, it's not the computer chip; it's the battery. Oh, well, right. The battery stays right. alive. Um, so it should all be solid state electronics yeah. so that you can handle the temperatures. Shoot, but and that's part of it is since I have the skill and I know what it takes 
Right. I know the limitations of the technology. Yeah. And so... You have done the homework into that. Therefore, you know what it's going to do. Right. Buying a long-range setup, whether it's electronically enhanced or not, Mm -hmm. in that scope, and not verifying it at distance is like walking into a sports car dealership and buying a Porsche and thinking that you're going to race the fast tracks. Right. Right. You're going to find out about a quarter mile into that race that you are not in the same ballpark as those professional racers are. Even if you buy the right car and you have Mm -hmm. the right mechanic and you have the right tires and you've had the right coach, you're going to figure out real fast that those guys know something that you don't. Yep. Just like I said, you buy a long-range gun, go shoot it. Go check it at 100 yards and then go with no coaching. Just go try to shoot it at 1,000 yards. (laughs) Right. At a 10-inch steel plate. Yeah. And see if you hit it. With no prior practice. That is what I think this is probably... Mm -hmm geared towards people that aren't sufficiently educated mm-hmm. yeah people that aren't good enough that don't have the proper skill set to be attempting things like that these specific elements of technology allow in some ways for you to cheat the system well and to keep in mind too a lot of these technologies are already legal in many, many states, if not all states. Are they really? Like, you know, using night vision, they had mentioned that. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, in our case, using uh, cellu- cell, cell cellular cameras, cameras and right. things like that. Right. There's a lot of this stuff that's already illegal. Uh, and so, right. for that instance, and, you know, I respect their stance on keeping things yeah. ethical. Yeah. Yeah. Can you use this technology the correct way? Yeah. And, you know, maybe just make your experience a little different than it was before or you know have a slight advantage that you didn't have before that's not necessarily going to be unethical yeah sure right but if enough people are abusing it you got to set the standard somewhere i agree and and i and i I agree with that and i respect that yeah whether or not (laughs) i just might not put it for boone and crockett if i decide to use my scope you know it's like that's not the end of the world for me either yeah Until, until it's you know number six (laughs) most of all time right yeah you gotta pay to be in the book i'm not paying uh yeah but yeah <laughs> um but anyway dalton and i've talked a lot what do you think mo uh so i was gonna say with the rifle scopes thing i don't disagree with the decision they made mm-hmm. i don't like them calling it fair chase because it's not a fair chase issue it's an ethics issue yeah agreed it's it's about people learning what they have if they know how to use it it's a completely ethical and really fair chase too because well because realistically they can just as easily abuse a normal turreted right, scope with right. a, a stray lock Right. App. Yeah. Well, it's and like you've got the Garmin uh, range finding bow sight, right? I don't. Oh, but, I know you don't, yeah. but <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but you're talking about your 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 sight for your bow that you can set up and dial. Point that screwdriver right? somewhere. Mariah's currently holding a little it, yeah. screwdriver that he's pointing at me. So, but no, you your take, honor, I do not. <laughs> take the Garmin range finding bow sight. Right. right? Yeah. That is almost an, that's pretty much an apple to apples comparison that to yeah. your, yeah. your site that you can dial on your bow mm. from a regular scope that you can dial right. to, uh, say, a burst eliminator. Yeah. Right. But you still have to be just as good of a shot with your bow to use that site ethically. 
Yeah. Yep. Same with the rifle. Yep. If you can't shoot with the dial, you have no business shooting with one yep. that has a Bluetooth reticle. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I, I agree with yep. you. So I don't like them calling it fair chase. All you're I think doing they is call sub- it ethics and say why yeah. that's the issue. All you're doing is subtracting the step of having to know your dope and then tick, 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 right. click up right. that turret. Right. Which, you know, and arguably can be, even if you are well versed in the, you know, the, the science of ballistics and shooting long range and you have verified it, there's an aspect of buck fever that yeah. you have to control in the <laughs> yeah. moment to yeah. make sure you keep your thoughts right Remember to dial. when you're looking yeah. at that Boone and Crockett moose in your scope. Because there's plenty of guys and that are great shooters that know how to dial and shoot long range that have whiffed shots yeah. on game. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to consciously know, okay, this is my range. Look at my chart or have your chart memorized. This is my dope, you know, and go through those steps one by one. Right. And a lot of time, brain fog sets in when you see that that trophy animal in front of you. Yeah, and you, it's like, what what am I doing here? <laughs> and 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 being able to to overcome that, yeah, is part of the game too. Yeah, you know, right. you know, on and, and then on the trail cam part, right? That was yeah. the two big things. Yeah. Well, you know, and right. they they mentioned are they just now saying that if you use like walkie talkies to hunt, that's not. That's also illegal in, in Alaska. Yeah. Well, I know that's yeah. illegal, but that seems like this is really late for them to implement that rule. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, whatever. maybe. The, so the cell camera rule. I, 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 well, that, that to me is a lot more nuanced. Like you were saying, specifically, especially about bears in Alaska, that's not going to be something you're just going to be able to use yeah. to go shoot something real time. Yeah. And let's say that rule was nuanced and they opened it for bear baiting only. Mm-hmm. Right, you could use cell cameras, but for bear baiting only, you can't use a cell camera to watch your garden in the back of your house, yeah, or your neighbor's garden <laughs> <laughs> to then get a text and go, "Oh, look, the moose is there. I'm going to go shoot it." See, it would make sense for them to make so you're not supposed to do that, but you can bear bait with it, right? Yeah. So that then would disqualify my bear that I really had no advantage over, except for I saved some gas money, right? Because even from even a crocket, even a close to town bear bait is still going to take you. Right. you know, by the time you've gotten out there maybe unloaded your wheeler or maybe it's a walk-in bait mm-hmm. and you you know have walked the distance there it's hour and a half if you said that long. minimum if you yeah, said mi- that, that's minimum you yeah. know and then state by state location by location in each state there's certain areas you know if you're using whitetail hunting mm-hmm. specifically bow hunting for whitetail that gives you no advantage i would on, say that depends no on your area how close you because, are to the camera well that's but, what i mean if you're yeah. bow hunting yeah. You know, now if you're sitting in the tree stand, you have cameras set up so you know when the deer is coming, but still you got to be in the tree stand. You got to be ready. It really doesn't matter at that point. I could see situations like Dalton had mentioned with watering holes and stuff like not that. Where even, even bow hunting. Not, wi- yeah. not whitetail with yeah, a bow. You, there's a lot of guys that spot and stalk with a bow, dude. It's not unheard of at all. So for real time like that, though, you also got to think. You also got to think, though. There's a lot of areas where you can bow hunt, where you would have cell service, let's say at the lodge mm-hmm. and then watch the watering hole within walking distance away from you. And you're sitting in there watching TV and eating Cheetos until, you know, it's, oh, got a picture on my camera. Right. All right. I'm going to walk, walk 500 yards this way and go stalk this deer. Or, or you, you know, have that, the, I, I could see so that. So that is a probable thing that could happen. Yeah. But if the, if the state allows it, I think that's more of a, that should be, I would almost say that's more of a nuance. I would say if Boone and Crockett says, that the states should mm-hmm. be, you know, for, for cell camps. If it's illegal in the state, yeah, 
it's a, we, we won't accept it, right? Yeah. Which I think is probably, I'm sure is already a thing. If you broke a law well, to right, kill right, the animal, right, right, right. Well, it's not going to be accepted. And, and I think it falls under the same yeah. thing as any, anything else we've talked about today is, could it be used properly? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I mean. Can it be easily abused? Yes. And you also and, and have- that's the hard line to walk. You also have Joe Farmer, who's hunting for his family, mm-hmm. whitetail season, bow season. He has it set on his pond in the backyard, and he knows once the deer pass that pond, he can wait, you know, an hour right. later, he can go sit in a spot and wait for that deer to come by, and he can shoot it. Mm-hmm. He's hunting for meat. That's not Not fair necessarily. Chase, yeah. But it's, a, it's an argument I, for or against fair chase, but at the same time, it is a lot more ethical, like we already talked about. So it's a whole... <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's the balancing Man. act. But, right. And, and, and again, it, some of it could be personal. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, we've talked about that right. too. Oh, but, yeah. Right. Um, and that's just where I don't completely agree yeah. with that rule specifically. The scopes one I get, I just wish they would call it something different. You know, that right, is what it right. is. Right, I hear that. But uh, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty, I, I support their decision. I mean, they made it a year ago and, right. you know, and, and like it's, it's old said, news. So they I mean, have <laughs> the right to do it. They're if you're private, letting your, your antlers age, <laughs> they're a private organization. You're just not finding this out. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but well yeah that's all, all well and anyway yeah. so anyway that took a lot longer than i thought let's take a break and we'll dive into the, the main topic of this one all right folks we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope last year i found the solution to that problem with the stealthy hunter rifle cover It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to stealthyhunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, the Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so all of that, we had one common theme: know what you're doing. Yeah, don't use tech to to overshoot your abilities yeah know what you're doing practice so let's talk a little bit about how to practice how to get proficient especially for anybody who's listening to this that maybe shoots a pie plate at 100 yards and thinks they're good maybe they want to get better right and you know hey if you only ever shoot 100 yards good on you pretty good that's that's okay uh if you want to stretch out farther there's things you got to do so there are a lot of ways to prepare yourself with your weapon. I think I'd mentioned this in last week's episode too. I really like the way you put it in in the episode you and Mo did. You need to be intimately familiar with your weapon. Yeah. You have to use that thing like an extension of your arm. Yeah. Um and anybody can do that. You just yeah. got to put the time in. Right. Put in the effort. Right. Um so let's go through this step by step, piece by piece. First off, zeroing your rifle yeah. correctly not a general guess <laughs> yeah so you don't just mount the scope by looking at the rifle and saying i think that's straight well and then you go get that laser bore sight and you just put the crosshairs on the little red dot on the target 
and then Never call it one good. Of those. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're practically zero. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, a laser has the same, you know, yeah. drop as a as a projectile, right? And it's perfectly straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so you know, and those can be good tools for getting on paper. You know, if you're at you know where I'll say I will 100% support the use of those as semi-automatics where you can't look down the actual. Oh, you can. You just hold the upper. <laughs> oh, I did that. I, I did that and got it on paper. Did you really? Within like an inch at 50. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, well, that's good on you. I'll, I'll, you have to teach me how to do that because I don't know how to do that. I'm way too shaky for that, bro. Um, but no, so, so first off, bore sighting. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great videos out there about it. If nobody knows what that is, you're essentially putting your gun on a steady rest, whether that's a lead sled or if you have some kind of a, a vice, you can put it in yep. something that's going to keep it from moving on you. Yep. Um, and you go to the range, you set up your target at hundred yards or 50 yards or whatever you're trying to hit on paper. You take the bolt out of your rifle and you look down the barrel and you, aren't going to be able to see a lot, but you'll be able to see your target. You just move your eye from looking down the barrel to looking up, move it up, look through the scope, and then adjust your crosshairs until you're mm -hmm. in the middle. You know, the barrel's looking at the middle of the target. Your scope crosshairs are on the middle of the target. Right. And then you, you know, should be on paper, in theory. Now, that's not going to account for any kind of drop. That's not going to account for any of that stuff, but it'll get you close. Right. Once you're on paper, now you're walking it in. And you hope that you have a scope that tracks well because <laughs> that'll make this a lot easier. Um, but, and you know, that part is pretty self-explanatory. If you shoot at the target and you hit six MOA low, then you adjust six MOA low, you shoot again. You know, once you get close to the bullseye though, this is where it gets tricky. This is what people trip up on is they'll get it close but they don't get it right. Um, Can I, I like thing? the way you put it Yeah, in the episode two weeks ago, I think it was when this one releases. Yeah. Um, where you were saying, go for the middle of your group. Right. You know, once you get close to the middle of your, of your target, yeah. you need to start doing more than one shot yes. to get your, your point. And arguably, I would even say your very first set you should yeah. do two at least. Mm. Yeah. Make sure they're hitting relatively in the same spot. Right. After that, you can do one, track it, and get close to middle. Yeah. That's when you start grouping them. Right. Quick thing, though. Yeah. When you get your first shot out to 100 yards, okay, mm -hmm. say you bore sighted at 50, you're close to center within a couple inches either direction, whatever. You move that target out to 100 yards. Shoot one shot. Mm -hmm. Make it count. Make sure that you make the best shot you can. If that bullet flies three inches left and four inches high mm -hmm. of where you were aiming on your target, steady your rifle, hold the reticle on where you were aiming. Without coming out of your scope, reach up and spin that dial and watch the crosshair move mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. and then spin your windage turret until it moves over, until the reticle is now on the bullet hole yeah. that you just made. Yep. Fire again, and you should be, if your scope is tracking correctly, mm -hmm. you should be on center. Yeah. That's an easy way to save yourself having to walk in and count clicks and things like that. That's, that's true. That's yeah. what I do. Anyway. Yeah. And, 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 and I've done that several times And then as well. you go on yeah. to shoot your groups. Yep. 
I, I have a target that gives me all my my numbers wherever yeah. it lands, and so I just I I trust my scopes at this point. <laughs> you know? right. um, I've I've all of my scopes have been on multiple guns, so yeah. <laughs> um, I've zeroed them many many times. I know what they do. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's a that's a perfectly good way to do it's it. It's just a nice the, fast the, way. The to do one it. place you'll get into trouble with that is if you you don't have like a vice, and I've experienced this even with something like a lead sled, which is pretty stable, but yeah. still allows for a little bit of human error. Is there's an inherent subconscious desire to keep that line where it is, even though you know you're spinning the <laughs> turret, and so if you go to spin that turret to align your reticle with that bullet hole. And you move the and gun. And that gun moves at all. Yeah. It's over. Right. It's over. Because now you've lost your start point and you you don't know wh- how far past that you right. have to go to get to your other point. Right. Just make sure that you can set the gun well, But and, if you can get move. super stable and make sure it doesn't move, right. it's a phenomenal right. way well, to do it Well, and I don't quick. shoot with a lead sled or anything like that personally, mm-hmm. right? I use a bipod and I fold the stealthy hunter pad. Yeah. Because I, I, I've done it shooting well, off bipods too. Oh, I'm sure you can do it. Yeah. Not with the Selfie Hunter pad because as soon as you move off that rifle, it bounces up and down. <laughs> <laughs> just, and let, I guess well, if you stay right on it, uh, right? I just stay on the well, gun. And, and here's, the, here's the thing I see so many videos or so many pictures of people talking about going to the range and shooting long range and blah, blah, blah. And they're on lead sleds. Yeah. With that gun just uh, ratchet uh, strapped uh, in there. <laughs> <laughs> a lead sled's only place at the range is load development when you're reloading and zeroing a rifle. Mm-hmm. That is it. Once your load is developed because you're just trying to remove all the human element from it and you're just wanting to see what one grain of powder does from another grain of powder, that's it. That's a great place to use a lead sled. If you're zeroing your gun and you're trying to stay as stable as possible so you can just move the crosshairs and get on target, great place for a lead sled. Soon as both of those goals are achieved, mm-hmm. put it in the back of the truck, get on a pair of bags, get on a bipod, get on something that you will be, that will be representative of what you'd have in the field yeah. and start practicing your shooting form that way. I don't care if you can shoot a thousand yards off a lead sled. Yeah, it doesn't right. matter because as soon as you're off that lead sled, you might not be able to hit the broadside of a barn standing in it. You might, you know, be all over the place at 300 yards mm-hmm. because you're eliminating all the human error with that lead sled. Now there's still, you know, you still have to have some skill. I'm not trying to say that you don't, but if you if you've never shot off the sled, how do you know how you're going to shoot in the field? Right. Have you so, heard of the problem? With shooting out of a lead sled and having guns react differently and not shooting as well once they're out of a lead sled or vice versa. So, because with certain have, ones, with with certain ones, yeah, and, and also certain cartridges too, like especially like the seven red mag with no break. Yeah, that's a jumpy gun right there. Well, <laughs> I've seen them jump out of lead sleds. Any with magnum the caliber with a light contour barrel has yeah. a lot of barrel jump. Yeah, it's kind of snappy. Now, where, where you can run into problems with that, and I could definitely see it being a problem, is a lot of lead sleds have a strap that you can put over the barrel to kind yes. of eliminate the, the yeah. jump. Cut that off, throw it away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because what you're doing is if you're pushing that barrel down against right. the, the stock or right. you're pushing the stock left, right, down, whichever way, you're manipulating it in a way it will not be manipulated. Any in contact the with the barrel at all should be eliminated. Yes. And so I, in that sense, if somebody's using it like that, I can absolutely see it. Yeah. And you're going to see a little bit of change in your point of impact or your, mm-hmm. you know, your grouping 
right. depending on what your rest is, right? If you're resting right. on a backpack or a bipod or a tripod mm-hmm. or a lead sled, there's going to be some changes in, in the harmonics of that rifle right. as right. it relates to what it's doing. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. And, and so I definitely have heard it being an issue. Yeah. Now, it's usually a point of impact issue. Yeah. Um, which is correctable. I haven't heard it being an issue as far as groups opening up terribly large. Um, and I haven't noticed it opening yeah. up my groups at all okay. with, with my experience. But that, you know, that's not to say it couldn't happen. Yeah. For me personally, I don't even own a lead sled, mm-hmm. but what I will use for zeroing sometimes is just the Caldwell forend adjustable ah, yep. turret thing. Yep. Where it'll hold the fore end of the stock. It's got that little U-shaped kind of beanbag thing yes, on it. Yeah. But it's got a little wheel that you can adjust that up or down mm-hmm. so that, that so that that's not a sandbag. That won't move up or down. That can't mm-hmm. be manipulated. Right. And then on the back end, under the stock, you have your rear sandbag rest or something of mm-hmm. that nature. Monopod or whatever you want to use. Yeah. And that gets you bench rest steady. That gun is not moving. Yeah. But it allows the gun to move freely and recoil into your shoulder right. as it will naturally, yeah. right? Now, if you're shooting into a bipod and you load up the bipod properly and tension into that bipod... Explain what that means for new people. So the bipod legs are sticking down 90 degrees off of the line of the barrel, okay? Perpendicular to the rifle stock. You shouldn't just be resting the gun on its weight on that bipod you should be positioned to rest the gun down and then slightly lean forward into it, which act like you are trying to bend that bipod forward a little bit. That's what they call loading into your bipod. Yeah. You, you lean into it. Not a lot, obviously. You don't want to <laughs> lean so far that you skip a leg forward and then, then it moves the whole gun. Yeah. But that settles you in and really applies that pressure and takes away some of that movement. And it'll also help a lot with muzzle jump. Mm -hmm. But if you have one shooter that leans into their bipod, zeroes their gun, then hands it to their friend, and their friend doesn't load into the bipod, the Mm -hmm. gun's going to act differently. And I have seen point of impact changes from one shooter to the next on the same gun in consecutive groups. Absolutely. Where one shooter knows how to load the bipod, other shooter is unfamiliar, and you see a point of impact shift and you think, man, is the gun off now? Like, what happened here? Right. Yeah. And then I took the gun back, shot it again, and I was back at zero. Yep. So, Absolutely. something to be aware of. A- a- any, any external force applied to that gun right. can potentially change the point of impact when you're zero. How you pull the trigger. Even that, what oh, part yeah. of your finger How far you your use finger to pull is. the trigger yeah. will change point of impact. Even if you're good on everything else, that can change. It can. It. I Absolutely. think a lot of that comes from torquing your grip. That's what I mean. Yeah. So so let's dive into that real quick. So yeah. some basics of shooting form yeah. to keep in mind. Everybody knows to shoulder that thing steady, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you put it right in your shoulder. It should not have half the butt pad sticking up above your collarbone. Right. You know, if that's the case, you need to get a higher cheek weld or you need to to adjust that that fit somehow put yes. your scope further forward put yeah. your scope further forward whatever you need to do but you should have that thing locked into your shoulder yeah. now there's going to be some shooting positions where it's going to change a little bit you know and so yeah. you you've got to be willing or you got to practice at each with each one of those but your shooting your trigger finger and I'll actually say this your trigger hand position is one of the biggest things people goof on yeah. when they're at the range that thumb 
if you're right-handed and you're pulling the trigger with your right hand, that right thumb should not be on the tang of that rifle. You need to have that thing laying freely mm-hmm. on whatever side your hand's on. A lot of people run into that issue. You reminded me of this with the torquing issue. Mm-hmm. They're gripping that rifle. Right. They're holding onto it tight. Right. And what they don't realize is they're inadvertently going to create slight movements that's going to change the torque of that gun. Right. Yeah. And you got to think this is ballistics, right? Right. Just like MOA is a variable change in, in you know, the each yardage point, it's getting right. more bigger and bigger and bigger. Magnified by distance. Magnified yeah. by distance. Any amount of movement you make at the bench, which you shouldn't be shooting on the bench much, but We'll just use it for an example. Any amount of movement you do at the bench is going to be amplified at 100 yards, 200 mm-hmm. yards, 300 yards. So if you're torquing that thing to where when you go to pull the trigger, you maybe twist your arm a little bit or right. it's not, that rifle's not free-floating basically right there. Mm-hmm. That's going to affect your group size. And yeah. it, it can be massively affecting your group size. Yeah. A lot of people, if you just stop gripping the rifle like it's a death grip, and yep. you just let that thumb kind of rest on, on the, the trigger side of that, yep. the, just right above your hand. A lot of newer rifles, especially if they're set up for longer distance, will have like a little thumb oh, sure. rest. Yeah. They'll actually have a dedicated place for you to rest your thumb on. Yep. And there should be no pressure on it. Yep. You know, you're holding that thing into your shoulder tightly, but not so tight that you're like shaking almost, right? right? Yeah. And then, like you had said with your, your trigger, where it's positioned on your finger. Mm-hmm. right you can tune that if it's you know what feels right to you yeah. if, if you want your finger farther in there and you set the gun up from day one and you're consistent with it right you can tune it to that but you know traditionally speaking you want to be on the top of that ridge on the very end of your finger right that that tallest point on the bottom part of your finger middle of the pad middle yep. of the pad yep. is where you'd want to be there right in the middle of the fingerprint yep and and that'll keep everything in line your hand is relaxed you're just slowly squeezing that trigger back. You're just, sl- it, it should almost be a surprise when it goes off, especially with some of these nicer, lighter triggers when they're super crisp and breaking. It's <laughs> pound and a half, baby. It's off. Pound and a half. <laughs> like, um, My biggest pet peeve is the left hand. Ah. Uh, for, for a right-handed shooter, the left hand. So mm-hmm. your non-trigger hand. Right, your non-dominant hand. I see so many people, the, the natural tendency is to hold the gun as if you're standing, holding mm-hmm. it. Yes. And they want that left hand, if you're a right-handed shooter, up mm-hmm. underneath yeah. the fore end of the stock. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have that hand up there when you're shooting prone. Support it. Or, or any, off any of form of support it, yeah. Right. Really. Unless you're shooting from a standing or kneeling position, mm-hmm. you don't need to have that hand up there. Yeah. You've got to rest on the fore end, whether it's resting on your pack or whether it's resting on a tree branch or whether it's resting on a bipod mm-hmm. or a sandbag, that left hand needs to be up underneath, cradling the buttstock of the rifle up on your shoulder. Yep. That also helps with recoil management. Mm-hmm. You can apply a slight amount of pressure if you use the crook in between your thumb and your index finger, first knuckle, um, at, you can use that little web of mm-hmm. muscle there in front of the swivel stud. If you've got a sling on there, it makes an easy little grip point Yeah, where that muscle tissue there will grab and you can apply a slight amount of pressure. 
You can also adjust your left right to level out your reticle on your target. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you can apply a little bit of pressure to seat that stock properly in the right position. That helps tremendously with supporting the rifle because if you don't have anything underneath the rear of your gun, mm. but you've got a forehand rest, and I see people do it all the time with bipods, they'll rest the stock in their shoulder, they'll have the bipod on the ground, and they got their hand up underneath the end of the gun in front of the magazine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they have no rear support. So whichever way your shoulder moves up, down, left, right. or right, or when you're heaving and hoeing, breathing after making your stock, <sighs> well, now the whole gun is moving up and down because the butt of the stock is not secured in any way. Right. They make plenty of lightweight rear rests. Like if you use like a little bean bag type yep. of a rear rest or you've got, um, th th they make little uh, bipod type of attachments. Monopods are a big thing now too. Monopods, sure. Yep. But for lightweight guys, they make mm -hmm. little titanium folding leg deals. It's got a little cradle in the back. Those are pretty popular in the mountain mm -hmm. hunting world. Uh, I, I forget who makes those, hmm. but I, yeah. Anyway. I'd be interested to look into that. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's just a handy little titanium folding. Um, just picture like a little miniature bipod that just cradles the back of the stock. Almost th like shooting sticks. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and th th that's, that's a good way to do that, but you still ought to have some kind of a rear uh, hand yeah. support mm -hmm. underneath that rifle. That in, in keeps a lot of, it from moving any more than necessary or yeah. then will happen because there will be some movement at some time yeah. when you breathe or you have to readjust and, and move on the animal. But having your support hand mm -hmm. underneath the stock to, to help with recoil mitigation as well. Yeah. That's, that's a big pet peeve. Right. And, and there's some instances where if you're shooting, let's say, uphill a little ways, yeah. where your hand can actually touch the ground. Yeah. And I've done it where I'm, I'm cupping... The, the base of that stock with those two, same two fingers like you right. mentioned. Yeah. But the bottom of my palm is on the ground. Yeah. And I'm able to kind of tighten my hand or yep. loosen my hand and adjust my... Use it my as a sandbag. Yeah, yeah, basically, I... Right. Yeah, it's my... Right. my yeah. That's my favorite sandbag thing I've always got with or me. even yeah. gripping the... Uh, if you have a sling, gripping the sling and pulling it back into mm -hmm. your shoulder a little bit. Yeah. Now, the other thing to mention, too, is since we're talking about hand positioning with the offhand, is if you are shooting off some form of a rest that's not stable, yeah. right? And I'm not, I'm not saying not stable as in it moves, but not stable as in your gun is not connected to it in Correct. some way, like a bipod yep. or something like yep. that. Having your hand up in front of you yeah. is fine yeah. as long as you're not gripping the gun. Right. You want to have your hand on the rest, whatever that rest is, whether it's a tree branch or a shooting, mm -hmm. uh, shooting, what am I thinking of? I, I uh, like a two by four across the uh, tree oh, stand. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Support. Yeah. Like yeah. A, yeah, some sort of shooting support. Yeah. That hand is there to control left to right movement. Yeah. That's it. You start gripping it or you start pushing it too far one way or the other, you're going to start changing your harmonic. Yeah. You need to have that hand there, basically kind of the same concept. Yeah. Cupping the rifle between your thumb and your index. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And controlling your left to right movement. Yeah. And if you've got to pan a little bit to follow the animal. Right. Then you just use that hand to keep that forehand steady while you're panning. Right. And then you're, you're stable. Right. You shouldn't be pushing it down onto the support. Right. You shouldn't be trying to hold it up off the support. Right. right. You know, if you do have to gain a little more elevation off your support, rest your hand on the support and then rest the gun on top of that. Correct. Then you can squeeze your hand a little bit and close yep. that gap and raise it up and down if you need to. Yep. But you're still on the support exactly. at the end of the day. 
you don't want to start pushing it. And and I think we've talked about this on the show before, like we're shooting off backpacks. Yeah. The issue you can run into is if you don't have the same V yeah. to hold that rifle in, in the backpack at the same time, you might inadvertently be pushing pressure against the barrel left, right, right. you know, however it might end up being. Yep. That could change your point of impact. It might yep. make the, ju- the gun jump a different direction. Exactly. Follow through is very exactly. important, just like with a bow. You want to follow through with a bow, you want to follow through with your rifle. Yeah. Um, kind of on that same note, and I know this is kind of an obvious thing for us here. We've touched on this lightly before. When you're shooting off of an unconventional rest, such as a tree for support, mm-hmm. there's that moose of a lifetime, and he's standing out there at 275 yards. You can completely miss that moose if you're leaning up against a, a, a spruce sapling and you rest that barrel on the gun. Oh, if, yeah. if, if you rest the barrel of your gun on that <laughs> yeah, rest, right. yes. rest the stock forend. <laughs> Do not just lay the barrel on that tree branch. I'll just reach oh, over right. that stock and squeeze the barrel and stock and the branch all at once. Yeah. <laughs> You, and, and, <laughs> you can ruin that opportunity by resting the barrel on something. And, that you know, just to. to the experienced person or the, like someone like that grew up doing this, this is mm-hmm. all common sense stuff. Right. I'm sure, there, sure there's a p- couple people that have rolled their eyes already saying, oh, everybody knows this. Why are they even talking about it? If you didn't grow up shooting, yeah. you might not yeah. know. Yeah. Like that, that's just the way, right. you know, it, it's, it's not all common sense yeah. that holding a rifle a different way might make it shoot yeah. different. You might not think that, but it's the little differences that make it you know, a big difference downrange. Um, and there's a lot more to shooting form right. that you can talk about and, and get into and, and really ridicule people. If you're really <laughs> ridicule. <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, that's so hard. That's, hey, you, you know, and a good thing to do too is to film yourself shooting. Yeah. I will say that whether it's pistol or, or uh, rifle. And then send it to somebody better than you. Send it to somebody better than you and say, hey, point out what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. You might be flinching and not know it. You yep. might have bad hand positioning and not know it. You might be, you know, and, and sending it to someone who has an experienced eye, that's a great way to learn. Um, invite them to the range with you. Just say, hey, come watch me shoot if yeah. you're willing. You know, that's a great way to learn. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of stuff that happens subconsciously that you've really got to beat into your head as muscle memory. Um, but if you really want to get into the, the nitty gritty of that, again, either find a person or you can watch a ton of videos on it. There's all kinds of, of stuff out there, all kinds right. of resources to learn proper shooting form those are the the basic more important ones we wanted to cover but i want to cycle back to the zeroing aspect real quick okay so those the basics of shooting only matter if you're properly zeroed now you had talked about the you know finding the center of that group once you get in there i think this, that was a couple episodes back yeah why don't you kind of expand on that a little bit so Assuming that your scope is properly mounted and properly torqued in, which we're not going to get into all that right now. That's a whole other topic. Yes. <laughs> that will be upcoming. But assuming that that's all done correctly, when you get bore sighted and then you get out to 100 yards, let's say you're going to shoot for 100 yards zero. You want that mm-hmm. bullet to land dead center when you pull that trigger at 100 yards right. when you're hunting. Well, how do you get to the point where you know that that bullet is going to fly there? Because you shoot a group, let's just say that you shoot a one and a quarter inch group, Mm -hmm. okay? What you don't want to do is shoot three shots and have two land over on three quarters of an inch right of dead center, and then one lands... uh, a half inch left of dead center mm-hmm. and then say, well, I'll split the difference. 
Okay. Now, the number of shots in a group, I think, is subjective to your rifle. I would agree with that. If you have a number one contour barrel on, say, a Kimber Mountain Ascent, Mm -hmm. an ultra-thin pencil-barreled rifle built for lightweight, Mm -hmm. okay, that barrel heats up, Mm -hmm. and your point of impact will shift when that barrel gets hot. So what you don't want to do is shoot three, four, five-shot groups. You don't want to shoot a five-shot group but shots four and five are with a hot barrel now. Yeah. Well, and, and I experienced that with my old Tika 7 mil. It, yeah. It was a, the super light model. Yep. Mm-hmm. Such a light rifle. I have but one I, of those I, on 300 wind mag. I would string, I would start stringing to the left, like noticeably. As the barrel I, got hot. I would have three or four shots that were a perfectly tight group, and yep. then five would be a little left, six would be a little more left, seven would be a little more left, and it's... Right. The barrel heating up and warping, essentially. So the problem is, if you shoot a five-shot group with a number one contour barrel, we'll just use that because that is the most extreme example, Mm. a number two contour barrel is probably the most common in the sporter weight hunting rifle barrels. And and again, we're talking about steel barrels. Mm -hmm. Carbon fiber barrels heat up much slower. And they dissipate the heat much faster. Right. You can generally get away with shooting a five-shot group with a carbon fiber barrel. And you can most of the time rely on a five shot group not wandering after three shots right really anything above a number two i would say i would say so yeah but with some number two contour barrels with a lot of fluting Mm -hmm. you know those don't have as much material they get hot a lot faster they dissipate the heat faster because there's more surface area but they tend to get hotter faster at the beginning so if you have a super light contour barrel my preference is three shot groups. Mm. Fire three rounds and then stop. Yeah. Let that barrel cool back down. Don't switch targets. Okay? Right. Right. Shoot for the same point of impact and then shoot three more rounds. And then let it cool down and then shoot three more rounds. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying that the first three shots, two of them being three quarters of an inch right, one of them being a half inch left of center, and splitting the difference and saying, well, I'm close enough to center. I'm splitting the difference. Mm-hmm. What if that one and a half inch left was a flyer? Right. You, or, or you. What Maybe you, you, you right. busted the shot. Right. Yeah. What you're trying to do is get the bigger picture of what that gun is doing. The greater data set. Yeah. Okay. Right. After four or five three-shot groups with a light contour barrel, you should have, with a cool barrel every time, you should have every round within your maximum group size. Yeah. Let's just say it's an inch and a quarter. What you might find, though, is the dead center of that group is not actually hovering right over the bullseye. At that point, after you've shot four or five three-shot groups, sometimes guys like to shoot more than that. Sometimes guys are okay with shooting three or four Mm three-shot groups. When you're done shooting, when you are happy that Okay, to the point that you don't have any more rounds outside of a particular circle. Walk up to your target with a tape measure and measure the group size. Find the center, mark it of your group, and then measure back to your direct center. Important part here. Okay. Where in that hole are you measuring to? Where in what hole? So when you're measuring your group size, are you going 
outside of hole to outside of hole, or are you going center of hole to center of hole? I go center of hole to center of hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's the way. It of be. maximum outer shots. Yep. However, what people don't often understand is that sometimes you won't have a bullet hole at your dead center of your group. That's going to mess with you. <laughs> now you probably will, but I've had it before. Or I have shot a pattern of three shot groups mm. of four shot four groups of three shots, so twelve total rounds. Yeah, and I don't have one at the absolute dead center. Mm-hmm. Now that was with the gun that shot about two inches, and this was quite a while ago. Uh, the last several that I've done this with, there's always been multiple bullet holes at mm-hmm. dead dead center. Right, but that's with much tighter shooting rifles. Right. If you've got a gun that averages one inch or so you're probably going to have bullet holes in the dead center. So find the dead center of that overall group across that 12 or 15 or 18 shots if you're shooting three-shot groups. Measure from the center of your overall group back to the center of your bullseye. If that is a half inch off to the greater center of your group, then you come over two clicks if you have an MOA uh, turret. Your group could be a little bit high. It could be a little bit low. What I also do is with, with a new gun, I'll shoot for the greater zero like that. I'll adjust it. And then I'll come back another day mm-hmm. and I'll do the exact same thing. Yeah. Because what you're trying to do is see if there is any inconsistency, if that zero is going to wander. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes it can. It shouldn't in theory. Right. But it can. Now, things that can introduce inconsistencies in shooting groups like that are um, improperly torqued scope rings. Yeah. Improperly torqued receiver screws. Action screws. Yeah. Action screws that that that, that or, attach. Or are you talking about the on the, on the scope rings? The receiver. Yes. Sc- okay. Yes. Yeah. From the from the scope base into the receiver okay. of the rifle. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. And then also, like you just said the actual stock screws that mm-hmm. go through the rifle stock and attach it to the action. Yeah. Okay. Those three things are all variables. They're all screws. Mm-hmm. They all could back out. Blue Loctite is your friend. <laughs> Some people will tell you never blue Loctite your scope rings. I do. <laughs> Those people are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to say if they're <laughs> right or wrong. You That's take a pair of preference. tweezers and you dip that screw in the Loctite first, right? Negative. No. No? No. Well, <laughs> what, is, what is wrong with you? I put one little drop right on the thing. That, that was my yeah. point, yeah. <laughs> if you can see blue on the screw, it's enough. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. need much. No. You don't need you much at all. pour it in the screw hole until it overflows. <laughs> <laughs> until it drips out the bottom of the it's ring. Exactly. That's a ring hole. permanent scope ring right there. Exactly. That's what that is. Yeah. Don't use red Loctite. No. I would say that. Use no, no, no. blue. And, mm-hmm. uh, and funnily, oddly enough, that is it Warner? The scope mounting kit? Warn. Warn. Okay. The, the scope mounting kit that has the, the torque screw and everything like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They, it comes with blue Loctite. Is that does Warner it? Wheeler? It does. Mine did. Wheeler. That. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, I was going to say. It's, it's not wow. Warn. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of that. You guys are so much better with names than I am. This well, is why well, I'm not a sports fan. Warren makes scope but, rings. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. I, I have that, several of them. That's why I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, that's it's Wheeler. Wheeler makes the, the scope yeah. mount kit. It comes yeah. with blue Loctite. Mine didn't come it. with blue Loctite. Oh, really? No. Oh, I must have got the deluxe version. Yeah. <laughs> Special. So, 
So I'm going to I'm going to caveat my my or I'm not going to caveat my agreement with you. I'm going to say there's an alternate way to get your zero. Go for it. With those ultra light contoured barrels. Okay. And depending on which one you do depends on your train of thought. The other way you can do that is instead of minimizing the amount of shots you're taking per group, you can maximize the amount of time between each shot and maintain a five shot group. Uh, one thing I I've done in the past is rather than taking, you know, one minute or two minutes to do a group, I will take one shot and let my barrel cool. And I'll take another shot and then let my barrel cool. Because you're not testing the the rifle necessarily in that instance. You're testing what the bullets are going to do. Now, the difference in thought process for this and why you need to know both of them is there is a train of thought where the only shot that matters is your cold bore shot. If you fall into that train of thought, then you're going to want to know what your cold shot's going to do. And you want to know if your cold shot is consistent. The reality of the situation is there are often points in time where you've got to take follow-up shots, especially for like you as a guide. I'm sure you've had to shoot animals multiple times. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially with with some of the bears down there, right? They don't go down easy all the time. Oddly enough, the um, animal I put the most bullets in for a client this year was a moose. Oh, that's not oddly. I don't think that's odd at all. Those things are tougher than anything, yeah, well, dude. That one but was determined to go to the water, and I, I was determined I, I, to not I, be in the water. I have so. seen them soak up <laughs> an obnoxious amount of lead, and not and sometimes not even react. I hear Shop, they can soak but, up a lot of burgers without even noticing. <laughs> well moose is burger so <laughs> right there you go but so depending on whether you're trying to zero only your cold bore or doing a, a group like that to where you'll see what your barrel does when it heats up a little bit because with some of those ultra light contour barrels one shot's enough to add some heat into that barrel um and you'd, you'd be surprised it can start throwing some stuff around so i but i heard from one guy at one point and i don't know if this is anything that i've ever heard anywhere else mm-hmm but I talked to one guy. He was at the range, actually, mm-hmm. and he was shooting a brand new gun. And it it was a it was an expensive gun. I I man, and this is not like me to forget a, a rifle. But uh, it was a nicer gun. It was a carbon barrel. But mm-hmm. he said that he was having issues with his cold bore shots not being what the rest of the group was, mm. and he was trying to figure out what exactly the difference was because he was in contact with the manufacturer and they were asking him well how far off is it so what he did is he had two dots on his target he would shoot one shot the cold bore at one dot and then four at the other dot let the barrel cool down cold bore shot went back at the cold bore bullseye next four went at the ensuing group dot Interesting. And then he would compare and see if there was a difference in actual zero hmm. from cold bore to, um, I, I suppose you'd call it warm barrel shots, right? right? Yeah. The ensuing four, because he was he was shooting five shot groups. I don't know if that is That's the best way to do it, to but it was an interesting <laughs> problem to have. I haven't yeah. had a gun that throws cold so, bore shots weird. Me either. Um, but everybody, it's, it's interesting because everybody talks about it. Hmm. 
everybody talks about, well, your cold bore shot, you know, that's, that's the one that matters. And I, I've, I haven't had that problem. I don't know why that's such a focus. Yeah. I know a fouling shot mm-hmm. is very, very important. Oh, yeah. If you come back off of a hunt or even from one day to the next, mm-hmm. if you're hunting in the saltwater and you run an oiled boar snake through your barrel because you got saltwater in your barrel, then, well, now your barrel is not fouled. Mm-hmm. And when you zero your gun, it's fouled. Yeah. Newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody pretty much knows that. But when you clean your barrel, then you need to foul it again mm-hmm. before you go back to relying on that old point of impact. Yeah. Cold bore shots, I suppose you would hope that it's the exact same zero, but he was having a problem. And I looked at his target, and his cold bore shots were consistently a half inch left of where his other shots were in his huh. groups. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Was it was it a super thin contoured barrel or was it, was it a like, carbon barrel? It was a carbon barrel. Yeah. Wow, that's even more well, odd then. Yeah, very strange. That's an interesting I, story. I don't I don't know why that is. If you're if you're listening to this show and you're the guy that did that, yeah. let, let us know. <laughs> let us know what happened. I, that's- <laughs> I, I, I I would love to hear if you think that is just personal shooting problems. If that guy just had an issue, you know, it, yeah. it's possible that it was just human error. It could be, uh, yeah. and, and that he was just throwing a shot every group and yep. sometimes his cold bore would be good and but in his mind yeah throwing a shot well it's got to be the cold bore shot mm-hmm. that's kind of what i assumed it was i hadn't really thought about it until we started talking about it just now weird um because every rifle i have shoots the cold bore shot exactly where i'm zeroed for right and right, the group exactly. just continues in either in the same hole or cutting the edge or in a cloverleaf around it right yeah that's well, what you and, want and that's typically when i've done the five shot group of all cold bores. Right. It I mean, if you have a, a good load, it reflects if you hand the same load like you do and and right. like I do. Um, you know, it's a much tighter group. Yeah. So, you know, you got you got a lot of of good consistency there round right. to round without altering the heat of the barrel, without altering, you know, right. the, the whether right. it's warping one way or another a little bit or right. So, there's a, but the important thing is if you, if you do have a more open group, if you don't have touching rounds at 100 yeah. yards, you, you want to make sure that your zero yeah. is, is going to make sure that your rounds land right there. Yeah. yeah. That you're aiming. So if you're at 400 yards, one MOA, let's just say you're one MOA, right? Mm-hmm. Strictly one MOA. There is a little bit of gap in between there, right? So if you're shooting that 400 yards now, now that's a four-inch gap, not a one-inch gap. Right. If you're zeroed right in the middle, that's only two inches of deviation one way or the other. Exactly. And that's the important part. What you don't want to do is have it zeroed off of center, and Which then now might, you've got... At 100 yards, it might not look like it's very far off center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but at 400 yards, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you're four inches to the right instead yeah. of two inches to the right. Yeah. Now on you're, one side of your you're hitting the shoulder instead of right behind the shoulder. Right. Now you're creating a world of hurt for yourself. Or if you're trying for a neck shot, you totally miss. Yep. Exactly. So right. let's take a break really quick. And there's one more part to zeroing I want to cover. Hammer Bullets produces what we at The Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. 
The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 30-30 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, so Dalton, you said, before I jump into my thing that I wanted to do, you said you had an example you wanted to, to pose to people. Yeah, so three-shot groups versus five-shot groups. Yeah. I'll give you a great example of magnum cartridges versus non-magnum cartridges. Mm, good information to know. What is the difference? Well, one's a magnum, one's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the name. <laughs> Did anybody speed. break it down for you? The name of the game is speed. So, for example, I have... we. Oh, okay. I think it was the last episode we talked about the Saco rifles and the Tika rifles. Seiko. For Americans, Seiko, <laughs> whatever. I'm just messing with you. For the Seiko 30-06 that I've got. Mm. Tico. And the Tika 300 Winchester Magnum that I've got. Yeah. They're both fluted barrels. They're both the exact same contour barrel. Okay. Different cartridges, though. And as we covered before, Tika barrels are made by Seiko. Correct. Yeah. So the same, so exact, the same, exact same, barrel. same barrel. Same twist rate, same everything. Um. I think the 300 Win Mag is actually 24 inches and the 30-06 is 22. Okay. But in the Seiko 30-06, I can shoot a five-shot group without it opening up over my average group size. Okay. I don't have any... What kind um, of speed are you, are you shooting these groups at? Is it pretty much back-to-back? Are you giving yourself like just, just enough time to settle back in and get, get a nice, good group. Like shot to shot? Yeah, or, shot to shot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have the magazine full because mm-hmm. I'm always watching for polymer tip deformation. Okay, yep. Um, and, and I'm always checking for feeding issues. Okay. I, I, I don't generally make it a habit of single feeding yeah. when I'm shooting groups because I like to see if I'm jamming bullets back into the case with mm-hmm. severe recoil, which is not an issue on a 30 out 6 or a 300 wind mag for most cases either. But it's just a habit. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, you know, the gun goes off, you run the bolt, close it, settle back in, pull through your shot again. It's it, five shots, you know. I, I, it's definitely not fast, but it's not yeah. slow either. It's not right, taking right. me a minute to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but in that 30-06, I can shoot a five-shot group and not have it open up over my maximum group size that I've already predetermined and measured before. Mm-hmm. And the 300 Win Mag with the exact same contour barrel, exact same flute design, that gun at shot four, sometimes shot five, will have the hot barrel start to wander. Mm. That's because you have a lot more powder. Yeah. There's a lot more heat. That barrel gets hotter faster. Right? Yep. That bullet's going at minimum 200 feet a second faster. Right. If I'm shooting a 180 out of a not six, it's going 2750, maybe a little bit less. 
if I'm shooting the exact same 180 grain bullet out of 300 Win Mag, it's going 2960 or so. Or a little more. Yeah. A little more, a little less, depending. Yeah. So around 200 feet a second difference. So you have a little more, little more friction there. You can add that into the effect um, because it's going through the steel faster. You've also got a lot more gunpowder. So that Tika barrel will heat up faster in that 300 Win Mag than the 30 out 6 will. So mm-hmm. with that Tika 300 Win Mag, I shoot three shot groups because I know that those three shots are not going to wander yeah. with a hot barrel. With the OT6, I'll shoot five shot groups because that enlarges my data set. Right. That's just an example. If you've got a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 6.555 Swede mm-hmm. or really even probably a 6.5 PRC as long as you're not shooting a number one contour pencil barrel or a 308 or a 708, any of those mild cartridges, yeah. you're going to be able to shoot five shot groups out of them because they're not in that Magnum right. category. Those barrels don't heat up as fast. Right, right. When you get up into like a 300 short mag or a 300 wind mag or a 28 nozzler or a 7 rem mag, um, the more powder you've got, the mm-hmm. more of the, the faster that barrel is going to heat up. Absolutely. So that's and, just and, an example there. And when we're talking about a hot barrel, you know, we're not talking a red hot barrel. No, we're just talking like if you, the way I usually determine it is just with initial impression, right? I'll go just beyond the stock and, and I'll feel up by the chamber as well. Yeah. But initial test is just in front of the, where the stock ends or just beyond that. Sorry. I'll wrap my whole hand around the barrel. If any part of me says, Ooh, that's hot. Yeah. Like registers that as hot. Like if I was touching anything else that would register as hot. Yeah. That's way too hot to keep shooting. Um, Now, moderately warm is not the end of the world. Right. Um, If you can hold your hand there and it's fine and it might feel a little bit warmer than the ambient temperature outside. Yeah. You're not going to be warping the the metal in there. No. Um, And and by warping, we're not talking about like, (laughs) we're also not saying (laughs) that your barrel is going to look warped. It's a very minuscule difference you'll never see it with your eye it's just it's it's the way the atoms are realigning with the heat right um you also now you also want to check it right by the chamber too though right you want to check it you know right basically under your scope bell yeah um and make sure you're not building up too much heat there because that's going to heat up your powder which is going to change your burn rate which is going to change a lot of stuff for you so real if you can hold your hand there for an undetermined amount of time i mean and by undetermined i mean unlimited amount of time yeah and it's not hurting it's not like registering as wow that's really hot yeah if it's just lukewarm yeah. you're good to go yeah keep now shooting. if you've already done a five shot group and it's warm let it cool back down to ambient temperature because the next shot will start pushing it into that hot realm yeah um so you still want to let it cool between your your right your groups but if it's just if it's just lukewarm you're you're good to shoot it's yeah. not going to change yep. much of anything yep um, so one thing I wanted to touch on as far as zeroing goes, we've covered a lot as far as getting your group sizes yeah. set up. What distance are you going to zero at? So this is something that's going to de- be determined by your specific needs and your specific cartridge. Yeah. We've talked a lot about being able to dope your scope, right? And for anybody that doesn't know, dope is uh, data obtained on previous engagement. It's an acronym. And that's, you have a turret on top that's exposed typically, and you're able to just crank it a couple clicks or a lot of clicks, any given direction, and be able to change the actual reticle to be able to land on the target of choice. 
if you don't have a scope that can do that, or you don't have a desire to shoot super far, let's say you just want to shoot 300 yards. Yeah. Um, there is a method of zeroing your rifle called maximum point blank range. It's a rule to run by if you don't plan on doping. You've, and most people have probably heard that term before, but what it entails is you're zeroing your rifle farther than most people would. We, for the most part, mm-hmm. zero our rifles at 100 yards. All of us have adjustable turrets on our scopes. Now, even with adjustable turrets, sometimes it behooves you to zero at 200 yards, maybe. Because if you have a limited amount of turret travel and you want to just crank out a little bit more, if you can, you can zero at 200. Now you might be able to dope a little bit farther downrange. Yeah. But what maximum point blank range is, the basic explanation of that is you need to look at your ballistics data for that cartridge. Once you've verified your muzzle velocity and you've verified your bullet performance, you find the point where your bullet rises a certain amount and then falls back down a certain amount and you breach the distance between those two. So what you're doing, let me, let me explain that a little bit better. Let's say you're shooting, your target animal is Alaskan big game, mm-hmm. right? Caribou, moose, bear. If your bullet goes three inches high or three inches low of your zero, and you know you're aiming center of animal, on any of those animals, that's not going to be the end of the world. What you can do is you can go into your ballistics app, look at your trajectory, and figure out where your bullet, how far out to put your zero so that your bullet rises roughly three inches mm-hmm. on its trajectory path to that zero. And then you find out where it drops to three inches below that zero and that's your maximum point blank range. That is as right. far as you can shoot without doping or holdover or anything like that. Right. In that scenario, you might want to zero at 100 yards first and walk it out, but you you might find that you have a really weird zero distance. It might be for a super short range uh rifle, like let's say a 4570. Mhm. That might be 50 yards. Right. For something like a 300 Win Mag, that might be like 275 yards um, to where it's rising and falling right, that right. three inches. Then that might, the thing is, once you get out to that range too, you're not going to be good much farther than mm-hmm. that zero point because you're going to be on the downward trajectory at that point. You're, you're coming back down and it's going to hit three inches lower than zero, much closer than it will on the way out to the zero point. Right. right. So, so my 300 short mag is zeroed at 250. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's just it, is, is when you push your zero out farther, you maximize your range you can shoot without having to make any adjustments to your scope. Right. And, and that's kind of the old school way of, mm-hmm. of shooting longer, right? right. And, and, and that's kind of, that really became a, a reason people were searching for those flat shooting cartridges, those light mm-hmm. laser beam cartridges as they called them is because when you don't have that big arch, right. you can reach out a lot farther because it takes longer for that bullet to rise, it takes longer for that bullet to fall, so you're, you're able to zip that thing out there and zero right. a little bit farther. And before the, these, very, or these uh, adjustable turret scopes became really commonplace, you know, I mean, they're everywhere now. Yeah. 
before everybody knew how to use them, that's, that was a really common practice. Mm-hmm. And, and right. people still do it to this day. Right. If you go online, shooterscalculator.com mm-hmm. has a maximum point blank range calculator where you can input your ballistic coefficient of your bullet, your muzzle velocity, your sight height from center of bore to center of scope, and your target size. Mm. So like your kill zone. Right. High, low, maximum kill box. And yep. I typed in six inches, sight height one and a half, initial velocity 2725, ballistic coefficient 484. That is 180 grain Barnes TTSX at 30-06 velocity mm-hmm. with a six-inch kill zone. Near zero dead center, you click calculate point blank range. Near zero is 24 yards. Far dead zero is 230 yards. Maximum point blank range is 271 yards. Yeah. That's where that bullet falls outside of that six inch kill zone without having to hold over. Sight in at 100 yards at 2.74 inches high, it says. Mm. So this thing calculates your zero at 100 yards. So you you don't have to shoot out to 271 necessarily or or 230, I'm sorry, for the far zero. You can shoot at 100 yards and zero that gun. Measure above your zero Mm -hmm. for 2.74 inches, and then go verify that at 230. Right. And now you've got a 30-06 with factory loads that'll not fall out of that six inch. It it won't rise above six inches on the near end of your trajectory, and it won't fall out of that six inches until 271 yards. Yeah. Obviously... If you were to type in that same bullet um, with the same target size, but with 3,000 feet per second, mm-hmm. now that maximum point blank range, if you're closer to 300 wind mag, now your maximum point, point blank range is 296 yards. Yeah. That's not a whole lot. Nope. So that's where you see the differences between, say, a 300 ultra mag with the same bullet if right. it went 200 if it went 3250 right mm-hmm. now that's going to push that out a lot farther let's see what that is and so that this just proves the point of speed is your friend if you're not trying to dial so that right. 300 that, that 300 ultra mag if we say that's 3250 that point blank range is now 320 yeah so now you've got a significant distance right yeah advantage well, over the 30-06 in and, that regard. And again, that's before any Kentucky windage. Right. Your maximum point-blank range means you aim with the crosshairs on the kill zone, Yeah, and you will hit not exactly where the crosshairs are, right? but in that kill but zone in that of that animal. Right. So, and, and this is primarily elevation changes, right? right? Not left to right, right elevation. So if you're aiming center of body, right. you might hit a little high if you're close, might hit a little low if you're far, right? but you aim dead center of that animal, and you shouldn't have to worry about much else. So that's the 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 easy way to shoot. Right. If you don't want to ever go more than like like that 320 yards yeah. with an ultra mag, which seems right. really close for, right. for people that know how to Se- dope. Seems their- like a waste of powder at that point. <laughs> right. But if you don't want to go through all the ballistics stuff and, right. and right. the science of it and whatnot, then it just you know. Personally, I zero for 200 yards. Yeah. Every hunting rifle I have is zeroed for 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to have to dial if an animal's at 225. Yeah. If I have a 30-06 and I'm dead zeroed at 100 yards, mm-hmm. 
and I'm dropping, what, six or seven inches or so at 225, I have to dial because I don't like holding over necessarily. I don't love holding over. So for me, Mm -hmm. so many of my shots are 250 and under. Right. I don't ever have to dial unless I'm over 250. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's just how I look at it. If I'm at 250 or or 225, I just hold like an inch or two high of where I want to hit. Right. Negligible difference. And and you know, to be honest, when you talk to a lot of people, standard zeroing distance for a hunting rifle is 200. 200. When you you talk to most people, standard is 200. Because you're not too high at 80 or 120. Right. At the most, you're going to be two inches high. Yep. With most hunting rifles. Yeah. 30 out six, you know, up, give or take a quarter inch, but around two inches high at 100 yards mm-hmm. is going to be close enough to be dead zeroed at 200 yards. Now, once you get it two inches high at 100, put out your target at 200 and verify that and dial that in. Because if you're going to be dialing off of that zero point, yeah. that zero point needs to be exactly zeroed for 200 yards. It does. Yes. So that's, yeah, you got to be nitpicky with it mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. If it's just, if you're not doping at all, if you're not going to be adjusting off that that yeah. zero, then you know. Then, I mean, I would still verify it, yeah. but right. you're you're going to be in the ballpark, yeah. given that data, anyways. Yeah. That so. maximum point blank range is a nice tool. That way, if mm-hmm. you're not interested in shooting past 300 or so, all you got to do is just range it and make sure that it's inside that range, yep. and then just go to work. Well, and you know, and honestly, for a lot of new hunters. That might yeah. be a great way to set up because then you're not, you know, like we talked about before with buck fever and all that, when you're yeah. fumbling around and you're, you're looking right. at this animal, you've never seen one that big, maybe. You right. forget you have a dial on your scope. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it, it's a good way to get a couple kills under your belt before you yeah. start getting into the, yeah. the bigger stuff. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. by then your nerves have calmed, you've been through the process. Um, and like you said, you can always bridge the gap between the two. So. Right. Um. You guys have anything else to add? I don't think so. All right. I think we covered it. Well, guys, a lot of this that we talked about in the last half is just the beginning basics. It's just getting a little familiar with your rifle, getting you know some proper shooting form down, knowing where your bullet's going to hit regardless of anything is, is the important part there. You need to have the utmost confidence that when you pull the trigger, that bullet's going right where you tell it to. Right. So there's a lot more to go into with all this stuff, especially once you start getting into longer ranges and uh, adjustable turrets and whatnot. We'll cover all of that at some point in this show. Uh, But for now, we are going to sign off for the week. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on either our social medias. If you search at The Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, you'll find us there. You can go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com and hit the contact button to send us an email directly. If while you're there, you'd like to help us grow and produce more stuff, you can buy some merch from the shop. We've got hats, hoodies, t-shirts, and we have a partners page full of great companies that love what we're doing. They like to support us. They've given us discount codes that you can use to buy yourself some great gear next time you're going out in the woods. Um, As always, subscribe if you haven't already. Share it with your friends. And reviews and ratings go a long, long way in helping us get this show out to more people. Uh, really helps with the algorithms. Five stars always best. And, you know, written reviews. A lot of people look at written reviews. We look at the written reviews and we mm-hmm. appreciate everybody that leads one for us. Yes. So thank you guys for listening. And until next week, get out there, get after it, and good luck. We'll see you there.
All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.